0: Uh, I'm going to count to five, and then let's clap at the same time. One, two, three, four, five. Shit. Nice. <laughs> Welcome to If I Were King, the podcast where two friends somewhere on Earth talk about the New World Order and other things, including, but not limited to, the lizard people. Did, are you, did you come prepared today? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, do you want to just get right into it? Sure, dude. Let's do this shit. Cool. You want to open up? I have no idea. I didn't even accidentally open your notes this time, so I have no idea. <laughs> oh, cool. Well, you're in for some surprises again.
1: <laughs> okay. All right, Paul. So tell me, if you were king, what would you do? Yeah, so this week I've come up with a good one. I uh, I don't know how it is. Do you have a lot of panhandlers in Canada? Uh, what's panhandler? Panhandler is people who stand on the side of the road and ask for money.
0: Uh, okay. Uh, sure. In Vancouver, we got lots.
1: Yeah. It's absolutely prolific in Albuquerque too. So yeah, but I, I've, I've been getting really tired of it. So my plan is if I were king, we would essentially just uh, have the town and city councils select some police officers vigilantes to to fix this issue and they would drive around and when they see a panhandler they they take all the money from the panhandler half of it goes to their salary and half of it goes to charitable organizations for homeless people yeah so basically the problem just solves itself because you have these people paying their own salaries by taking money from people (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's yeah
0: all right let me let me understand so when you say pan are these just homeless people asking for money is that what you're saying
1: they're not necessarily homeless oh okay are they you
0: typically homeless
1: well they're supposed to be homeless in theory
0: is that a thing in in in, in, in albuquerque where people just ask for money <laughs> Even if they don't need it.
1: Oh, dude! People are definitely doing that shit. Not just in Albuquerque; everywhere, man. Probably in Canada too. There's people out there asking for money who have money, and a job, and or you know don't want to have a job. In other words, I should say. But, yeah.
0: All right. So how would? So you said you'll uh, tell me more about it.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So basically. Uh, these officers are selected be money confiscators, cash confiscators. I came up with the term cash confiscators, 50% of what they get, they can keep right. 50% they have to donate to like governmental and charitable organizations that help people. Uh, and then I came up with a third thing, which is 100% of people observed to, to give money to these people uh we'll have to do a year in the gulags no parole or bail (laughs) keeping up the gulag conversation
0: (laughs) can you tell me a little bit about your personal experience with uh you so-called panhandlers
1: every fucking intersection in albuquerque has a panhandle every fucking one it's annoying as shit dude it's gotten way out of hand it's not just like occasionally you're driving and there's one it's like every single, ind- it's so there's like four hundred in this city, people that do this at least, dude, and there are definitely people that aren't homeless. And not only that, but recently there's a new trend starting, which is people who are raising money, fundraising for like charitable organizations and like you know whatever they're they they got cancer or whatever. Now they're panhandling for money, for charity, for. It's fucking out of control. It's seriously out of control here. There's like hundreds of people doing it.
0: All right, so paint paint me paint me a word picture. So I think I don't really understand, I guess, the pan like what I what I imagine is um in Vancouver, just like a homeless guy sitting on the street and he'll be like, you know, do you have any spare change or money or whatever? Tell me about this panhandling at the intersections. What does that look like?
1: Yeah, so it's a lot more out of control here too, in that way, also because People just stand on like the little tiny when you're turning left, they stand in the middle. So they stand in like the most dangerous part of the intersection and they're standing there and, you know, they could fall into the road or whatever, because it's only like, you know, I'm going to put it in meters for you. It's like a quarter of a meter wide. Right. And they're standing on that and holding their hand out for money, holding a sign, usually with some story about their life and asking for money.
0: Interesting, all right, okay, so that sounds tip like that sounds normal, I guess, uh, from my experience. in Vancouver, that doesn't happen up uh, much. I don't yeah, I don't see it much at all, to be honest. Um, but tell me about I'm really interested in this uh, this charity organization kind of jumping on uh, i I don't know would do you call it a trend or this strategy?
1: Yeah, I've only seen it a little bit in the past like three weeks or so. But it's starting, dude, and it's going to take over there. There will be people like, you know, uh, just yeah, they're just standing there and their sign says, uh, we are raising money for like, you know, whatever. uh, Our friend who got cancer, we're raising money for whatever the fuck it is. It's just
0: like a grassroots GoFundMe kind of thing.
1: Yeah. Except for instead of using GoFundMe, they stand on a street corner and ask you for money while you're driving.
0: Okay, that's interesting. So, so it's not like particularly um, charity organizations, uh, like uh, not necessarily organizations. It's just kind of charity, as in people uh like su- asking for support, like you said. Like, yeah,
1: um, it's more GoFundMe esque <laughs> than. Uh, than actual charitable organizations probably. They they could probably actually get in trouble if they were actually associated with something. Yeah, yeah, that that's what my first thing like our cops would not do shit about that. So that's that's not true though, on the other hand. Yeah no, because I was just thinking I'm like, well, you know, I work for a charity. And <laughs>
0: I was like, if we did that, uh that would not fly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, okay, all right. It's it seems um this strategy or this adopt adoption of this strategy by like the general public See, it seems very um very american to me very uh <laughs> like ah <laughs> like, uh, you just got to go get it and make your dreams come true and or
1: save your buddy from hospital expenses does does that sound very american to you it does well if it's for medical expenses expenses especially man fucking <laughs> that's the most american
0: thing ever yeah maybe that's why we don't ever see it here um it, it does it does happen on occasion in canada because like not every you know not everything's 100% covered um yeah. you might you know your initial you know treatment for um for can for example when i was when i was reporting uh like last year somebody um they were raising money to for like um someone who went went through cancer you know they had their treatment and all that that's all you know covered by um you know the government um but what isn't covered is like they needed to go and like do this recovery kind of um i don't know like it was, it was like um, i think it was called something something cancer house and it was like a recovery for people who went through chemo and stuff and like that's like you know they'll have people who can help with like um like physio stuff or, um, um, occupational therapy and stuff like that. And just, it's, it's like a room and a place where, you know, they get taken care of, um, you know, kind of optional, but kind of not optional, but also that's not, that's not covered. Do you, do you under, does that make sense what I'm saying? Yeah. 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 Like it's the app, like the after, like the, the quote unquote perceivable, optional part of treatment which is not so optional but yeah so it's people do do that in Canada a little bit but uh, yeah that's uh, pretty. I've, I've heard that time and again like people raising money for American hospital bills
1: um. <laughs> yeah yeah no, it, it can be an insanely expensive but yeah anyway I, I you know if I were king though that shit's gotta end you can't <laughs> fucking stand On the median that's, you know, two feet wide, a quarter of a meter, whatever the hell. And fucking just basically harass people all day long because it's fucking every intersection that you pull up to, dude. It's, you know, it used to be that I I think even since I was a kid, it's changed totally in the city. Like there used to be, you know, you might see that every once in a while but now you go for a drive and you see it 5, 10, 15 times just before you get to your destination. It's like, it's really out of control, man.
0: Yeah, it's really, so when you said, when you said like 400 earlier, was that just like a number off the
1: top of your head or is that like an actual, like- Oh, I'm just making shit up there, but I would guess that it's literally that because- Like if, in the hundreds? I mean, yeah, it's definitely in the hundreds because there's hundreds of intersections where they're doing this.
0: Very interesting
1: yeah that you can pass by yeah it's crazy man um other crimes punishable by cash cash confiscation i came up with uh looking at me funny having sex on a tuesday sucking one's own dick and bragging about it on twitter having a twitter account and owning a book and I left it at that. <laughs> but we could come up with a committee or a panel of concerned evangelical Christians to come up with a longer list. <laughs> so why why evangelical Christians, Paul? Uh, because they're just getting out of control in this country too. So I figured, why not?
0: But like, put them to work. Is that what you're saying?
1: well no just it's the satirical irony thing it's like let's make the situation even fucking worse okay yeah because it, it sounds like it would probably get worse yeah it probably would if you just gave evangelical christians the option of uh, controlling everything via cash confiscation pretty much yeah i feel
0: like the the combination of One, the American police force and two, police forces and two, um, American evangelical Christians is uh, like, I don't, I I would be afraid for your country.
1: (laughs) Dude, that's basically already how it is. (laughs) (laughs) Except, yeah, anyway, Anyway. different, but (laughs) (laughs) it's already like that shit. (laughs) That's what I would do if I were king this week.
0: This is very. That's very interesting. I I also have um, I also have a min- municipal related um, thing I would change. It's sort of municipal um. Mm, so as you know, Paul, I I'm, um, I guess I would call how do I call myself uh, I'm a regular cyclist. I cycle regularly. I cycle to work. I cycle for, whatever groceries, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um and since i started my my new job a couple months ago um i noticed this thing so i'm going to tell you what i would change if i were king i would change how people perceive the difficulty of cycling okay okay
1: (laughs) (laughs) what is it what first comes to your mind
0: when you hear that
1: uh the first thing that comes to mind is my brother has and his buddy they have this thing against people who ride road bikes and wear their Lance Armstrong looking ass fucking clothing, and they wear sponsored clothing even though they're sponsored by nobody, and they ride around dressed like that. That's the first thing that comes to my mind.
0: <laughs> I I also don't like those um people. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> you shouldn't <They're> fucking deplorable
0: <laughs> I mean unless you're actually training for a race then fine whatever I guess but uh, I feel like some are but anyways that's not my point uh, so so anyways like I said no I'm a regular cyclist I do that and since I started my last job a couple of months ago uh, you know I get the usual comments like oh that's cool or whatever that's a great way to stay fit or you know whatever that's kind of Normal, um, and you know, it was, I think it was a fairly cycling city. It likes to, propagandize itself as the best city in the world for cycling. It's not, um, I'll maybe I'll get into that in a little bit later, um, but, but yeah, so um, you know, the, the reactions kind of also change also when I describe my route to work. So I, I take the most straight and direct route to work. It is going down one of these, um, I guess I'd call it like a main street um, it's called Kingsway, um, so I go straight down it, and it's, um, you know, just for context, um, this, this, this street is, like, doable for cycling, like, people do it a lot, um, um, but the thing, like, it's normally, it's a, it's a four-lane road, right, like, two ways each way, and it's got six lanes in total, like, for, and for parking on either side, right, one, one on each side for parking, but during rush hour, in the morning, going, uh, going west to downtown that parking lane is open for traffic so there's three lanes going down um and usually that parking lane there's enough room for like parking and cycling so you have you know you'll be just cycling in between the traffic and the bike and the parked um cars and usually have enough space and it's not really a problem but in the morning like i saw um that lane's open l- opens up to like regular traffic so it's like you know it's kind of a bus lane but it's also a traffic lane so you, at that point i'm just sharing the lane which is fine with me I don't really mind um I go fast enough it's it's a slight downhill all the way so like you're not going super slow and people you know I I haven't had any complaints from drivers like everyone's been pretty civil they just go around me like I'm a bus um but anyways my point is um we had we host an event at work and I show up on my bike um and I actually got like kind of different comments because usually, you know, I park my bike at work in the underground parking and I come up and, you know, they just see me, they don't really see my bike or anything like that. Um, But, you know, when they actually saw me and um, I was doing photography for the event, so um, I had my camera gear, my backpack and whatever. Um, A lot of people were kind of like, uh, I guess you'd call kind of like shocked a little bit, kind of like a little bit in disbelief. no, I got the questions like, "Oh, how far was this ride?" Like, "Wow, that must have been so hard." Wow, um, and it wasn't. For this ride, it was. It was only twelve kilometers, right? So, and it was basically all downhill and flat. So, um, twelve kilometers is not. It's not far. It took about thirty-five minutes. So, pretty, pretty regular, regular time, even if you were in a car, uh, going somewhere. Um, except for that day actually there was a fire at the uh wood recycling plant and uh that definitely slowed me down because um that smoke was the smoke be thick uh i definitely am living a, a year or two less because of that day uh, <laughs> all the toxic fumes um but yeah anyway so it just to me they were just like so shocked about how it's like how they like it's 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 like i like i did something crazy like run a i don't know like I don't know like climbed Everest or something you know
1: <laughs> yeah
0: Um. so like just to me it kind of just showed like how little people really like know about how easy cycling is like you know it's especially like the relatively flat routes um and I think this kind of stems from most people have been ridden a bike since they were like a kid and then when you're a kid you don't really like I guess record your distances and your times and stuff and your speed um but even if you like go for a bike ride with your friend on the weekend or whatever, um you're probably not recording that. Uh, I record everything because I like to have as much data on my on my on my cycling as possible, just to like you know how fast am I going, what's my average speeds, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but yeah, I think most people don't realize like they go a lot further than they realize and like you know if you walk like if you run 10k, like okay, that's I'd call that like beginner medium, you know, or if you did a 10 k run. Um, but like a 10K, 12K bike ride is like super beginner. Like, especially if you're going at your own pace, like it's not a problem, but, um, you know, honestly, my point, you know, uh, obviously big, big believer of, you know, cycling is a primary mode of transportation in cities. Um, obviously it doesn't really work in rural places, um, or not as much at least. Um, so, you know, a commute, you know, less than 20K, 20K, you know, is at that point, it's getting kind of far. Um, but doable if you're like if you're like quote hardcore, i guess um <laughs> but like like for me my 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 commute, my direct commute is uh just under four and a half k uh so it takes me between nine and fifteen minutes um it's it's not it's not long, it's not hard um, I would change people's perception of of cycling paul. Uh, or the difficulty of cycling because it's so doable and so many people do it and especially with the with the rise of e-bikes um i think I th- it's it's so much more doable um i guess this really ties in, in, in into like that kingsway where um you know kind of like why i'm saying this is like on kingsway at some points on kingsway like there's visual visible signage that says this is like those those two that those those two extra, like bonus lanes, I guess you could call them, uh, during rush hour. Um, they're technically HOV lanes for some part of the road, but then at some point on on the street when you're going up it or down it, the uh, the signage kind of just disappears and it isn't repeated. Um, so it is it is a shared road, even though it's not very well. Um... Marked. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and I think the the biggest the biggest thing about this is yeah Kingsway is not it's definitely not a beginners uh uh like commute commuting kind of thing because um, you are you are biking right beside cars uh, which can be intimidating especially if you're not experienced and if you are and if you're comfortable it's not really a problem like it doesn't faze me at all and people in Vancouver are actually fairly okay um, I would say more than fairly like fine with dealing with cyclists on the road. I, actually, I'm more concerned about like the actual um the bike routes, the uh, like the official like bike paths and stuff in Vancouver, um, because um, we have a lot in Vancouver, and it on paper it seems really good. Uh, and then downtown, they have all those, uh, you know, separated bike lanes, blah, 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 like all that. Like, oh, this is world class and it fucking sucks. I hate everybody who bikes does not like to bike downtown. It sucks, even though it's like they've got all that infrastructure um, for the regular people who like, you know, commute and move around the city and do their groceries, whatever. Um, the bike routes actually kind of suck. They um they kind of they're on how they how they designed it in Vancouver. And I didn't I used to think they used to suck. I used to think they were great. And I'll tell you about that. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> well, how the design is they use, um, like side street residential streets as bike routes, which is, I guess, when they first invented this, whenever they first invented it, it was a good idea. Uh, I still think it's, they have a place and will always have a place. But, um, so they, those are fairly well marked. Um, like it's, it'll be, you know, side streets that are like, you know, that go in straight lines. Um, but the problem with these, they don't actually take you anywhere. Um, like, um, they, they take you close to things like, for example, like, for example, if I was going to work, um, the, like that Kingsway is like a, it's like a diagonal if you're, because Vancouver is, a, is basically a grid. It's a very gritty city. It's a very square, every square kind of thing. Uh, kind of like if you think of New York, it's very, Vancouver is very similar in that sense to New York as yes. in the, the, the street grid is like 90 degrees and 90 degrees. <laughs> But um, for example, like Kingsway is this diagonal, which goes uh, from the next city over, uh, Burnaby, and it goes, like, it kind of cuts through all of that and goes straight downtown. So it's a direct route. Uh, but all these other bike lanes are, go along this grid, so they're all at ninety degrees. So the further you go, say uh, west, the further you, you 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 will then need to make some sort of right turn or left turn to to get closer to that like that diagonal. Uh, direction of downtown if you're going there so for example so i i tested the sound actually just this week paul so to work for me like i said it was like just under 4.5k going direct and then and that takes me nine minutes at the fastest 15 at the slowest ironically traffic is what is the determining factor of how fast i go <laughs> 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 but uh, i so i tried it indirectly via the bike routes uh the quote unquote back routes, and um it was just over seven or so kilometers, uh, and that took me just under twenty minutes. Uh, not a huge difference, especially since it's a fairly short distance. But the longer the distance, the longer that takes. And also, I got kind of lucky with the lights, uh, so I actually was able to blast through a few lights before they they so they weren't red. But yeah, I think I think my point is why I would change this. Um, you know, people's perception of difficulty biking is that. I think it would actually have a lot of positive effects on cities and city infrastructure because so many people think, Oh, it's too hot. It's too hard. Oh, it rains. Um, And why would we spend money to, to do this kind of things like uh, make more efficient or more visible or clearly marked bite routes and stuff. And um, I think if, you know, if Hurricane and could change everyone's perception like magic, I think it would have a lot of, a lot of benefits. (laughs) I think, like um you know there wouldn't be so many like uh, roadblocks if you will um to just making like very simple and not really expensive changes uh because a lot of some changes are like as simple as you don't need to even install anything new you just need to say no parking on the street or something and people lose their shit sometimes um yeah <laughs> when vancouver first uh installed all those um bike lanes downtown people were fucking nuts people were upset uh and then and then after it was all done and everything settled in people were not upset anymore um they even they did this um, on the Burrard street bridge they even installed bike lane it was people were angry because that took uh it took two lanes out uh, and the constructions like made it one way each way kind of thing. So people were upset. And then after after it was all done, uh, it became actually, um, like during the summers, it is the most used bike route in North America. Um, wow. <laughs> um, so I think, you know, those perceptions, like, you know, people getting so angry about blah, 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 this and that, I think you know especially when you know when we're trying to make you know all this climate change kind of action and all that and stuff that actually works number one is if you can make things that are accessible and you know uh, you know like that saying kind of like if you build it they will come i really think they will and also changing attitudes so people aren't like afraid to cycle a lot of people are afraid to cycle because they're like oh cars are scary um so a little bit of understanding from everyone um i think it would go a long way to make you know making life in cities, you know, not only better for the city, but also, you know, for each individual in the city. And, uh, Paul, that's what I would change. All right. What do, what do you think about that? That was, a, that was a rant, I guess. Not a rant, but it was a, it was a long speech. It was a dialogue. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. I think that uh, people definitely think that bicycling is much more difficult than it actually is. Uh, and it's definitely in part because people haven't been on a bicycle since they were a child. Uh, it's definitely a thing here too. Uh, you know, I think the distance issue gets a bit problematic here because it's like twice or three times as far
0: but uh yeah, absolutely. Like I'm totally, I totally, like, you know, I'm not, um, I'm not one of those unreasonable people who are like, this needs to happen. Um, but you know, every, time you dip your toes into that, that's what people automatically assume. <laughs> right. Right. You know, obviously like, you know, if your commute is long, then like fucking, yeah, do what makes sense for you, obviously. But I'm just saying um like, you know, if you build it and if attitudes change, like, a lot more things even in different neighborhoods like you know you don't need to commute to work every day by fucking like if you're, your commute's like whatever 40 kilometers or something 30 40 kilometers um you know if it's safe and it's doable yeah but yeah anyway sorry that's me being a fucking politician or something right now <laughs>
1: yeah <laughs> no we need to i mean the u.s probably even a bit more so than canada like desperately needs to change perceptions about like walking and biking to work and stuff walking and biking places because here that's like absolutely unheard of and i have a question have you ever have you ever
0: have you ever walked or biked to cycle like regularly to work have you ever cycled and or walked to work
1: regularly no i'm just too far from everything that makes
0: that's fine like yeah every city is different and i'm i assume albuquerque never been yet we'll we'll have an episode one day (laughs) um but i i assume it's fairly spread out like most like american cities kind of thing like uh you take the highway to go places right yeah i do okay okay
1: (laughs) that makes sense pretty normally uh i mean if you if you lived in like downtown or something and worked there then Mm -hmm. obviously it'd be really easy or if you lived Mm -hmm you know, near the university, for example, you could bike to work or whatever, if you, you know, saying you worked at the university or somewhere nearby, but other than that, and then also there's the issue of just, like, outright sketchiness here, (laughs) and the fact that if you leave your bicycle anywhere and don't take (laughs) off the bicycle seat and both of the wheels, uh, that shit's getting stolen.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's interesting. I can't, I can't wait to go to Albuquerque and visit you. This will be, so it
1: sounds like a very, a city with a lot of character. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you could say that. You could say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've seen, if you, like, go to the university and, like, go look at where the bicycles, you know, people, people lock them. Yeah, they're stealing bicycle seats, tire, wheels, whatever. <laughs> And people will tell you that they're like, if you ever ride a bicycle to you, lock that shit up, take off the wheels, take off the seat. Like, yeah, no, it's no. not worth it anymore, man. <laughs> that's interesting. And...
0: that's funny. You know, I did. I had my seat stolen once. It was really weird uh, was because I went, I went, I went to the mall um, to get something. I was there for like I don't know, ten, fifteen minutes. Park my bike. I come out, and then I come back, and my seat's just fucking. It's gone. I was like, what "What the fuck? I was gone so little. The odd thing was, the odd thing was that there was another seat just like, like, they took out their seat, threw it on the ground beside mine, and then took my bike seat and put it on their bike, I guess. So I was like, oh, my bike seat, but they left me a bike seat, so they (laughs) stole mine and just left me another bike seat. And then actually, and you know what? It was a more comfy seat. (laughs) (laughs) that's uh that yeah that's in some in some parts of vancouver that happens uh like notably downtown downtown east side or something that might happen but for most parts like if you're
1: if you're in a more residential area like i I wouldn't worry about that at all (laughs) yeah that sounds funny though because that sounds like a just a horribly stereotypical canadian thing to steal someone's (laughs) bike seat and then leave yours <laughs> for them. I, I mean I think this this what went through the head. They're like they must
0: have been like, oh that looks like a sporty seat or something. Like I want that. And like they're like, well, what am I gonna carry my seat around? No. They're, so they just like <laughs> I don't know, it's really weird. Very weird. Yeah. Yeah, so you so you never so you never so you've always had to traditionally just uh like uh, commute to work, yeah.
1: Yeah. I've never ridden a bike anywhere for transportation i've walked places obviously in spain and (laughs) where i where my parents live it's in walking distance you could go to a bar and that's the only place Mm. that's in walking distance you could actually bike places yeah (laughs) yeah that's a practical actually walking distance place to go i've walked there a few times but everything else you could bike to some places but just nobody does I've met like one one like older
0: yeah, they there I, I imagine like I imagine like the uh, I mean quote unquote cycling community or cyclists and are like kind of hardcore in that way in Albuquerque probably because like they're so little and like they're the people who are like dedicated to doing it but they're they're probably fighting for their life every day
1: <laughs> yeah that's exactly right there's I've met one guy in Corralis. it's called where my parents live that was like I bike everywhere and he's super intense about it. Uh but other than that, yeah, there's just really not a lot of people doing that. And then also like there's a total lack of infrastructure for cyclists. Yeah. Like there's bike lanes in the main road in Corralis. But outside of there, I mean, you know, one like stereotypical thing that europeans experience when they come here is like they're like holy shit there's no sidewalks and there's no (laughs) bike lanes and there's no anything because it's america um
0: and don't forget it (laughs) yeah
1: exactly but yeah there's no like good infrastructure for cycling here you you can't like you know i mean it's already like you're saying there's a danger element on some level or that's one thing that people are shied away by but it's much worse when there's just literally like no real space for people to cycle you can kind of in corralis but outside of here the other local towns and cities are like practically uncyclable i mean you'll still you'll see people doing it but Really, they just come off as assholes because there's not fucking space for them, but they're still just out there doing it. I mean, we're talking, like, they'll ride on the line that's actually the edge of the street. They're riding, like, on it because there's no space for them.
0: Yeah, no, yeah, that, yeah, that's unfortunate, I think. Yeah. You know, like, you know, the whole thing I got, like, like, I was one of those people who also, like, didn't cycle since they were a kid, but... um, one of my jobs way back in the day, um, it was it was kind of like, um, it was one of the restaurants I used to work at, and it was in this area of the city where, like, it didn't, ha- there was no, tra- like, public transport that reached, it was, like, a relatively new, it was, like, an emerging neighborhood. Now there is, I think, one bus that goes there or something from somewhere. Um, but the, the the way to get there by public transport was, like, I could take one bus near to my house, it would go through this one neighborhood, and then it would drop me off at the top of the hill, and, like, it wasn't very fast. Um, because like it wasn't first of all, it wasn't direct, it was like you know you had to show up before the bus to make sure you would catch the bus, and then it would go through the neighborhood, drop you off the hill, and you still have to walk like in the, I don't know fifteen twenty minutes um so what and it ended up being like basically, I would walk to work because sometimes it would literally just be faster than like if the bus just didn't show up, you know that wasn't in my control if something if whatever I texted the bus it said it would come, and it wasn't coming. Um, so I just, I used to like literally walk to work. It took me, you know, 45, 50 minutes and it was fine. I would listen to music or whatever. Um, and it was, you know, it was, I don't know. It was just kind of my, uh, uh, my, my, just my reaction, I guess. Like I was like, I, I didn't, you know, I didn't drive uh, at that point, and um, And <laughs> yeah, I just, I just walked to work. And then one day I was like, this would be way easier if I took a fucking bike.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: And that's, and that is, that is how, I got into cycling. It was just, it was just like a pragmatic kind of way. I was like, I just won and I got a bike and I was like, cool, this takes me like, (laughs) like when I worked at seven in the morning every day, I I would woke up at 6.45 and then I'd be at work by seven. Yeah. (laughs) So from, from my bed to the door of my restaurant was 15 minutes.
1: (laughs) That's nice. (laughs) Yeah.
0: That's, that's how, like, honestly, that's how it got to, like, it was basically just a commuting vessel for me and it was it was nice uh it was also at the bottom of one of the steepest hills in vancouver so it was uh, it's about a 120 meter climb very short it's a very steep hill um so that uh, that will get you strong real fast if you do that uh five days a week or more <laughs> yeah
1: yeah <laughs> that's true man yeah uh, do you find that you have quads of steel now uh no my commute is so easy right now um,
0: like I don't, so like I usually like on, on the way back, I do take that longer seven-ish K route, uh, because it's just going on the, on those bike routes is more relaxing. Uh, and also like, I don't, when, when I'm going in the morning, I'm pretty fat. My, my top speed in the morning can be like 50 K an hour on my bike. Uh, so, in so whatever that is in American, but 50 K is like city speed limits. So I can match traffic speed at some points, um, um or actually match it like when you're when you're commuting usually you never go the speed the speed limit unless it's a very like there's not much traffic you know what i'm saying right yeah (laughs) um but yeah no when i when i did used to work there and then i also worked at another restaurant that was um also at the bottom of the hill but just uh in the next city over um that 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 was like i actually i googled that actually before this and that was about a 7k uh trip as well uh it seems way further, especially if you go by car, it seems so far, but it's like it's not yeah, <laughs> going back to the perception of things, like you look on a map and you go by car, and like the way you need to take, you're like, Wow, like I could never walk here, but um, yeah, no, it's uh, so I was biking there too, so, so anyways, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't remember what I was answering <laughs> <laughs> I don't that was a while ago. <laughs> but yeah yeah this i know i know this is very preachy and i don't that's the one thing i don't like about like quote-unquote advocating for cycling stuff like it it always just comes off as so preachy because it just does i don't know <laughs> and i'm just i'm just like it's a pride like but like like i said like when i went when i first started, it was just a pragmatic easy way of doing things and I still think it's a pragmatic, easy way of doing things. And yet, there's obviously a gradient and everyone has a different fitness level and blah, 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 blah. Um, but, you know, like I said, if you make things, you know, Kingsway is a nice, relatively flat thing versus like the hilly side streets. Um, and yeah, that was another thing about those side streets is um, they're hilly. Um, going to work on the direct route was only seven meters of elevation. So nothing. It's wow. mostly exactly downhill. Right. Um, going on the side route was 100 meters of elevation, which isn't a lot over like 7K versus 100 meters over like 1K. Uh, <laughs> um, but like still, it it it's a little bit of a workout um, going up It like, the, it's not a flat city. So yeah. that, that also affects, you know, the regular person or the person who wants to get into cycling. Well, that the
1: hard. thing that I just thought about too is, I, which I've never even thought about with uh, on this topic, but is just, you know, you couldn't get like super obese people to do this, right? Like
0: what kind of what? Obese, obese. Oh well, you know what's totally it's totally doable. I like I think cycling is super super accessible, especially now with the rise of e-bikes. Like if you say so, I I feel like I'm sure I'm sure there is a point at some point, but I think that's like some sort of like uh, American TV extreme. Um, well,
1: we're talking like 160 kilograms and up. Or like 150 or 125 even is a lot then, like yeah. to be riding a bike everywhere. It's just like an issue that I had not even thought about in terms of, you know, getting people to cycle. Say you did build the infrastructure, right? Like some people would have to lose weight just to be able to ride the bike. And that's like a lot of oh. Americans.
0: Okay. I mean, poss- Possibly. I, and I and I guess that that also goes back to the perception thing. That also goes back to the perception thing. Like I'm saying, I've 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 seen people on the commute, like they're like you know, not not the not they are like bigger people, but they're they're riding and they're like going to work and they're they're doing it or you know just on the weekend. So I think it's totally doable.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm saying it, yeah, yeah. As long as they got a bike that's big enough for them, I think that's good. It works. If it works for them, it works for me, man. We'll be back
0: right after this. So, if you haven't already, you can follow us on Instagram at uh, King of the World Podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter at If I Were King Pod or email us at If I Were King Podcast at gmail.com. And of course, our home on the web is If I Were King of the dot World. So, um,. You know, we we touched a lot on about American culture and a lot of cycling culture kind of stuff. Um, what are you bringing for a cultural corner today?
1: Yeah, I kind of have a mix between cultural and historical. Uh, Do it? It's a bit. You'll see. Anyway, so I have something on, on the topic of uh, fascism and uh, historical. Let's
0: get into it. <laughs>
1: episode three the heaviest episode ever yeah shit's gotten a bit heavy so far so uh there was this guy yeah ron jones a high school teacher back in 1967 this high school teacher uh basically became a fascist dictator in the classroom in order to teach his students about fascism
0: so 1960 is this so give me more context where is, is this in the states
1: Yeah, yeah, California in 67. Okay, 1967,
0: California. Southern California? I don't know. Somewhere in California.
1: (laughs) Palo Alto, I think it was. Maybe. Okay, okay. So that's somewhere. Anyway, uh, he was like, he's a history teacher, so he was struggling to teach his kids why the Germans kind of, you know, you know why the holocaust happened basically and how they permitted it and didn't stop it etc so he decided to do an experiment in his classroom and like teach them about fascism so on day one he wrote so each day he like wrote a different motto on the chalkboard and like then they practiced it basically so day one was strength through discipline so day one he starts teaching them discipline right they all have to sit up straight and if they don't he's gonna tell you hey sit up sit up straight fix your posture and uh he also had them do little things right like you have to stand to answer a question you have to stand before speaking um you have to answer in precise responses that are like three words or less and different different things day two strength through community so he tells them that you know strength comes from being united and from being working together and being strong uh, together so he gives them membership cards and like little note cards and then though he he takes an extra step which is on the back of some of them he puts a, a letter x and if you get one with a letter x then you're part of his gestapo basically and they were told to like you know whatever uh enforce adherence to the values of the, uh, the movement that he was creating which he called the third wave because apparently the third wave in The ocean like the third one in surfing terms coming towards the beach is the strongest one so the third wave and uh, he basically kept going on with this day three was strength through action uh, and he told them that community and discipline are nothing without action you have to actually do stuff to be strong and uh, to be a strong group or community so uh, but they act the bad thing was they actually did start acting and they started making posters and recruiting other kids and doing all sorts of shit and within a few days they had recruited like 200 kids so it was a classroom of like 30 but eventually they had recruited to the point where there were like 200 people who were part of this like movement at the school and they were doing all sorts of shit they had a bodyguard they had like a group that was the bodyguard of the movement and they had like physical assaults happening and all sorts of shit uh day four he tells them because it's getting totally fucking out of control right like he did it as an experiment and now they were actually like you know They were saluting and doing all sorts of shit. Uh,
0: What, like Nazi saluting?
1: Yeah, like, well, he invented a salute for them. Oh, like he made one up just for... Yeah, ish. it was like you hold up your... Anyway, but uh, they were actually getting really fucking into it, right? And physically assaulting people and all sorts of shit. So he was like, this shit's getting out of hand. Day four, he's like... And also, he said that he reported his experience with it too was he started getting like really power hungry and enjoying it and like you know he said it was like a fucking huge power trip that like people were saluting him in the hallway like everybody and all sorts of shit anyway day four he's like this shit's getting out of hand i need to stop it so day four he's like we're all gonna meet in like a auditorium tomorrow and we're going to watch a movie about the national movement of the third wave. And, uh, there will reveal the secret leader, right? Like the, the leader of the national movement. So day five comes and he just plays like a blank screen and then explains to them that they basically joined a fasc- fascist movement and, totally just bought into it and like that uh that that was you know allegory to what happened in nazi germany and then he showed him like a documentary about nazi germany at that time or whatever but yeah this is like some real shit that actually happened and basically became a movement a movement of like 200 people at a high school and then he put an end to it but uh so they made some movies about it that were really I watched one of them that was a German production. Uh that was called like the third wave in German or whatever, but or the wave, I think.
0: Wait, is that a is that a movie? I mean the T V show on Netflix or something?
1: No, there's a different one that's called the Third Wave. That's not related to this.
0: Okay. I think I watched what you're talking about, a German thing called The Wave. Yeah, I've watched I watched it this summer.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah, there's a an american movie a german movie and then there's also like probably at least one or two more documentaries as well uh but yeah and yeah just thought it was really interesting and really horrible because it's like wow humans are actually pretty susceptible to this shit and uh it could happen again like and we need to be aware of that and not not do that but I thought it was interesting that it was like this American high school teacher just i don't know did this, yeah,
0: what um I don't know did the the teacher have like thoughts after it all happened like what what did he like obviously he was trying to teach a lesson, but then what did he think of it himself afterwards did he did he have regrets or something or
1: um i couldn't find too much about that actually i'm sure if you like watch the document i didn't watch the documentary ever i just watched that movie but uh i know i think that he did end up getting in trouble for it at one point and Mm -hmm. also uh i mean like he's like i said he did talk about like how he felt power hungry during it and he felt like really enticed by that because it was just such a emotionally powerful weird thing that humans can experience
0: yeah like acknowledgement kind of thing yeah interesting paul How? what were this bringing up how would uh, this come up in your life have you been trying to make a fascist cult recently
1: <laughs> no <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how the hell I got to this, but for some reason when I thought about cultural corner ideas, I, I jumped to this.
0: I mean, like, why did this stand out to you, I guess? I mean, like, when, how did you watch this just on your free time or is this something, like, somebody recommended to you?
1: No, I watched it in Spain, actually. Uh, for my, I had a European cinema class. Oh, cool. Yeah, so we watched it. And, uh, it's stuck with me since then. It's really interesting and crazy that that shit just totally fucking works on human beings. There were actually, I mean, they talked about, there were, you know, like, quote, the smartest kids in class, like, whatever, however you <laughs> want to define that, were, uh, and, you know, certain other characteristics, personality traits, made people not fall for it. There were certain personality characteristics that people had that made them not want to participate in it. But most people, the vast majority of people, actually just totally participate in something like this. There's a certain percentage that have personality traits that... um they just won't but such a big percentage will actually just become a fascist if you Mm. create symbolism and um like we talked about that it's the symbolism for some reason that's like really powerful for human beings like if you have a scapegoat and you have like a salute and you have discipline and rules that you're supposed to follow and then if you don't follow those then there's extremely harsh consequences and stuff like that like if you have certain requisites most people will just become a fascist pretty easily
0: right i feel like i'm not even just uh it's an interesting point the fascism but i just like any group kind of thing it seems like if you have a sense of uh belonging uh, a clear um i guess you call it like a motto um yeah or a slogan or something and then if you have enough people you know that like kind of building a sense of community with i guess like you said like some sort of ritual aka discipline right and some sort of message and then a little bit of structure behind it Uh, a lot of people could do a lot of um things of that
1: (laughs) yeah and potentially good but uh it, it it can be powerful in a very negative direction apparently
0: interesting interesting paul yeah
1: so <laughs> what what do you got for me norman um
0: so what i got um so that's it's very interesting we're both like on the same page today so you're doing something within the states i'm gonna do something very um very canadian so do you know who terry fox is
1: I've heard his name, but I don't. I don't remember. No.
0: Okay, so um, on September eighteenth, every every September eighteenth, um, every everybody, everybody in Canada does this thing called the Terry Fox Run, which is a uh, a day where you know um, you go for a run, but it's in memory of this guy called Terry Fox, where who, and this is and this is all in support of cancer research. Um, and Terry Fox, he is. Uh, quite literally a Canadian hero. Terry Fox is like a legit soup like he's a hero. <laughs> um, he was um, his super young guy. At like 18, he was diagnosed with um, cancer and he lost his leg to it. Um, and then um, he used to be, he used to play a lot of basketball and stuff like that and that didn't stop him. Like once he lost his leg, he played wheelchair basketball, won some championships and stuff. Um, but he wanted to do more and he was just like when when he went through chemo and all that stuff and this was in 19 like 1980 um or 19 late 1970s um um he was really just kind of like appalled by like the like being in the cancer ward and seeing all these kids going through this and he was just like really appalled by like like why isn't there more money coming to this um and like he he when he was in in the before he lost his leg he read something about like how somebody ran um, a marathon with just one leg and that kind of inspired kind of the rest of his um the rest of his life uh he started training uh as soon as he could he ran uh he ran like um he ran a race um i don't remember how long it was but he ran a race and completed it you know dead last uh, obviously his one leg um but but prosthetic leg and once he completed that race he said I'm going to run across Canada, uh, and hope, try and raise money for cancer research. Um, so this guy was like, I don't know, like 1920 at this point, maybe 21. Um, so what he did was he dipped his prosthetic leg in the Atlantic Ocean, and um, he went. He wanted to run all the way to the Pacific, uh, and dip his leg in the Pacific Ocean. Um, and this guy's originally from um, Port Coquitlam, which is a, a suburb of Vancouver. Um, um, I actually did um, I did some shooting for a local newspaper for that day, so uh, if you want to go on my site and check out those photos, you can. Um, cool. But I, that's not the point. <laughs> um, that's just kind of why I'm talking about this because this was recently, and that's what prompted it. But yeah, this guy like like a legit superhero. This guy like he ran he ran a marathon every day. he ran 42 kilometers every day um, with his team in a little van um, just running. Every day, he was trying to raise money. At first, like nobody, you know, at first like nobody noticed. But once it started people noticing, the media picked it up, and it became like the most like watched thing like ever. <laughs> um, like the entire country like uh, got behind this guy because of like because this guy running solo. People started like the communities he would run through. People would join and start running with him. And they like his goal was to raise um, one dollar for every Canadian. And at that time, that was I don't know twenty six million people or something. I'm not sure. Um, and yeah. since then they've raised like since then they've raised like well, like half a billion dollars or something like over 500 million dollars they've been raised since like 1980 um but um you know this guy super heroic effort kind of a tragic ending you know he he managed to go from the maritime provinces through quebec to ontario and his journey ended in Thunder Bay, which is almost in the next province. Um, it's the end of Ontario if you're going west, um, because the cancer um, reemerged and it in his lungs, so that he had to he had to stop and go back and get treatment, and then uh, wasn't successful for it. so at he he died like about nine months a year later or something um, uh, to the cancer that reemerged. Um, but ever since then, um, people started to do the Terry Fox tour every September 18th. And um, yeah, I think he's like one of the most like inspirational people ever because he did something super, super selfless, super, super difficult because um it wasn't like, the press like, legs were not good in 1980. Um, he, he would describe it like he had a 20 minute pain threshold, like it was super, super painful. And then after 20 minutes, it would kind of like be manageable, so every day, like, yeah, he was and if you ever watch any videos he had a really weird gait, like a running m- movement like because of just how the like the springs weren't very good as they are now and stuff like that so yeah it was a it was like for, a, a marathon of like like suffering every day uh and like you know he would also fit into the day like speaking at schools and events and stuff about you know uh, raising money for cancer and stuff like that so i think um that guy is uh, a true hero in the in the sense of it you know um he didn't. He didn't make. He didn't make it to the other side. But uh, I think his like his his legacy has a really long, long-standing legacy. Like uh, you know, his family's still big into you know his, his legacy, his foundation. Um, I met his brother um, at the the Pork Aquitlam. Um, it's called the Pork Aquitlam Ter- hometown Terry Fox hometown run. Um, so yeah, I think that's kind of just a little quick little cultural thing that I think, um, to me, is very, very Canadian. Not many people know about it, or maybe you've heard of it, but you don't really know about him. But, uh, yeah, true hero to me, at least. And um, that's what I wanted to share today.
1: Cool. I, I don't know if I'd heard of him. Terry Fox sounded like a celebrity name you know and i was like oh maybe i've heard that that he definitely had celebrity status but i wouldn't
0: have called him a celebrity um yeah 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 uh no that's
1: cool though i've never heard that story
0: uh yeah i mean if you have time i really like would just recommend going on youtube and just googling him and if, there's a million probably documentaries on him and if you watch one you'll get very inspired uh but yeah, like you know, he was like he was he was 22 when he when he passed away. So like, you know, this guy was, you know, he was doing something really big, uh, a lot bigger than himself, kind of thing.
1: Yeah. So the when you said like he that had raised ultimately 500 million dollars, for example, that's,
0: that's like the Terry Fox Foundation through cancer and stuff up till like 2022. Yeah. Gotcha. It wasn't like in that day, that moment, like I think they like, I think in his lifetime or the rest of his life, it was, they did raise a dollar for every Canadian. So like 26 million ish dollars. Um, a couple provinces also helped, like the province of BC did a million, Ontario did a million. I don't think the other provinces pitched in at that time. Um, but yeah. Um,
1: That's pretty amazing. The like local governments pitched in. Or the not provincial. local, but you know provincially yeah, I, yeah. yeah, that's pretty interesting, um
0: yeah, just um, even the day of the um the Terry Fox run, one of the um fundraising people, um like when they were doing some one of the speeches on stage before it started, like she was she was they were telling me like, oh, this woman don't remember her name, I'm sorry, but like she raised ten thousand dollars today, it was like before noon, that <laughs> so like. You know people it carries a lot um his name and uh, his his legacy,
1: yeah, gotcha. Um, should I forget I don't know uh, I don't know maybe cut this part out. <laughs> I'm not remembering <laughs> now it stays in
0: Paul um last time last time we checked in, uh you've changed your degree yes, very true.
1: Tell me why. What happened? (laughs) Uh, I was studying EEG, right? Electroneurodiagnostic technology, electroencephalographic technology specifically, which is like a subfield. Basically, I mean, I was working, you know, long hours at the hospital, doing nights, different things like that. And yeah, I was planning on doing that as the career. But... Basically, I couldn't, like, make enough money to comfortably move out of my parents' house and, you know, move out and, like, eventually do my thing, have a career. Uh, so I was like, I'd rather look for something that I enjoy but also pays good. So basically, I did that.
0: Uh,
1: so what was it? You're studying again now? Civil engineering. Water resources, specifically. Water right. Like, environmental engineering, more or less. Just more.
0: I I would guess I would guess that that field, in particular, is in very high demand, but also has um, changed a lot. I guess in how they teach it and how it's um, um, used in practice. Like back in the day, like you know, this the states like literally would maintain or redirect the course of rivers to make sure they fit. Uh, I, I'm thinking like uh like the missouri like um not the missouri sorry the mississippi no missouri which one mississippi mississippi thank you <laughs> um not yeah, the mississippi like um i think it's baton rouge you can like there's like a, a like a dam there that redirects and also like a bunch of some concrete on the bottom that redirects it to keep maintain its current route because if that dam is broken the 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 Mississippi would go in a totally different... It would go in a different direction and empty in a different place in the Gulf of Mexico and uh, New Orleans would uh, not have a reason to exist anymore because there would be no river going through it. Um. <laughs> that, so that's what I mean by, like, you know, you think the Hoover Dam and stuff. That's what, like, I think the old-school, traditional, civil, um, um, environmental engineering kind of thing. And I think a lot now has changed. And it's more about kind of more of a, how can we use it more effectively, responsively, and probably, um, I I guess, more in step with, like, natural um, um, cycles and stuff? That's what I assume and my guess would be how it's changed. Is that
1: what you've so far noticed? Um, I mean, it's not totally like that, because you can do almost anything with that type of degree right so you could Mm -hmm. work in water and wastewater you could work in wastewater treatment plants you could work in uh pipe design so water pipes you could work in water retention like you're saying you could work in like reducing our expenditure of water and coming up with technology and designs that will do that Uh, but Mm -hmm. you could also work with uh, stream stream restoration for example so you could uh take a place that's been really polluted or that's been really disrupted by human activities or something like that and bring it back to being uh you know more of a thriving habitat uh stuff like that you you could basically do anything but yeah i would say you know we're not making as many like hydrologic dams and stuff uh to produce electricity so Definitely some of those like old school civil projects like that are no longer being done. Um, A lot of the work is, uh, and and then there's other sides to the work too, like flood control, basically things like related to climate change, uh, in particular, like, um, you know, how's weather changing and is that causing more and more intense flooding, things like that, that those are also considerations. So yeah, it's changed with with climate change as well,
0: basically. Right, and, and and Albuquerque is that? Uh, what desert are you in? Is that the Mojave?
1: To be honest, I don't even know. Chihuahuan desert potentially. Yeah, Chihuahuan desert.
0: Okay. Interesting. So yeah, are you uh, are you excited? I guess. How much longer do you need for schooling then? At this point. <laughs>
1: Four years. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, uh, but I'm excited about it. Uh, I basically do two years of part time school just to do the prerequisites mm-hmm. for a master's degree in engineering okay. for people okay. without an engineering degree. Right, because you already have you already have credits from other shit. So right, and then okay, I can just jump straight into the master's. It'll take two years. Uh, I'm just about to start an internship doing engineering work locally, so.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's dope, dude. Yeah, yeah.
1: I'm excited about it. And it's like it'll be a really good internship because there's field work and there's like work in a laboratory. So it's not just um, you know, something on a computer all day or something. So I'm so excited awesome. about it.
0: I can't wait to hear more about that. have you you've started already or are you starting
1: I'm about to start in the next few weeks,
0: put it that way. I can't wait to I can't wait to hear more about this. Hell yeah, man. And and I have a question. What do you know about Saint George, Utah? Nothing. <laughs> so I I okay that's really interesting because um I've been monitoring, you know on our site visits and stuff like who's who's coming to visit us who's who's listening to our stuff and there's a disproportionate amount of people from Saint George, Utah. <laughs> so um shout out to st george utah um thanks for listening uh, <laughs> but um so i was doing some googling because i was like why i'm like is this close to you like do you know anybody here <laughs> so i'm glad they're organically <laughs> they're organically listening um but did you so like it's like it's like it's a bit, so i feel like this shouldn't be surprised to you but it's a very mormon place yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> they have a big like church in the middle, uh, a <laughs> Mormon church, and um, <laughs> I don't know. If you Google them, you can see like their flag. Uh, they also have a logo for some reason. The city has a logo, like, which is strange. Usually, you have a flag or a logo, but they have both. Um, <laughs> and it looks kind of very corporate like um, like the Umbrella Company from Resident Evil. <laughs> okay like they're gonna take over like they're doing some weird research over there yeah it's very corporate very corporatey. uh but also like it's all it's all sunshine over here don't look over here too closely <laughs> do you know do you know why in utah there's so many mormons what's up with that why utah
1: there was something i don't know the full story or something but i think it was just something to do with like escaping religious persecution a long time ago and so they went out west because there was land that you could get or what i don't know something like that okay but yeah i'm totally kind of speculating although i feel like i've heard that at some point very interesting what so what are your thoughts on utah overall um haven't been there too many times i've passed by salt lake city looks pretty cool uh looked like a nice city i mean mountains mormons are nice they've got a lot of rules and you know like they
0: do they have do you say they have a lot of rules and discipline would you say
1: they have a lot of rules they also have discipline though strong sense of community strong sense of community yeah (laughs) Are
0: Mormons a fascist state in disguise? Yes. No, I'm kidding.
1: <laughs> Hopefully, we didn't we didn't bore everybody with the fucking bike talk.